watch on those services. Let me see your hands. Okay. Some people now don't even watch live television. They, they couldn't tell you what night of the week or what time their favorite program comes on because they wait until the end of the season and they just watch all of the episodes back to back to back to back to back and they stream those services, stream those television programs that way. Now, I don't have any of those. I've told you I spend all my spare time praying and fasting. So I don't have time for worldly pagan entertainment the way that you do. But if you have those services and you watch a particular episode of a program, you tell me when the end of one episode comes, what happens? Goes right on to the next one. Because the, the service assumes that you want to keep going when you get to the end of one episode... The service believes that you liked that program, you liked that episode so much that you naturally want to go into the next episode. You don't want to stop, you want to keep going. Well, that idea is what I would like us to talk about today. We're finishing up a very quick two-part series on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the various individuals that Jesus called to be disciples, and, and if you were here or watched online, you might remember that we focused on how Jesus doesn't have a cookie cutter that says, here are the only types of people that I'm going to use. If they fit into this mold, then they can be a part of the kingdom. We, we talked about how Jesus uses all types of people. In fact, he puts those differences and unique mixes together so that people can serve him effectively in a comprehensive way. Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of those individuals were different. We're individual. There's none of us here that is exactly like another person who is here. And God, because he's the one who made us, he's the one who fashioned us, said, I'll take your passions and I'll take your abilities and I'll take your talents and your gifts and I'll mix them all together and I will advance the kingdom of God. And so last week we talked about the various types of individuals that Jesus called. This morning I want us to look at, well, what does Jesus want us to do? once he calls us. And so would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 3. The very same passage that we looked at together last week, Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 13, go down through verse 19. I want to echo what Philip said earlier. This is a singing church, and I appreciate that. In, in many church buildings, the view from this way looking out is much different than the view from that way looking up. In many church buildings, looking out from this way to that way, this is what you see. And that's during the music. If you look out during the preaching, this is what you see. Like that. And so I appreciate the fact that you sing and that you are engaged and responsive in our services. And so I just want to affirm that. In Mark chapter 3... Last week I told you that Jesus already had begun ministering. He already had begun teaching, preaching, and healing. He did not wait until he had a group of disciples join him to start ministering. But he did 
click his ministry up a few notches at this particular point. Luke recorded for us that the decision that Jesus made in choosing his disciples was so important that he spent the entire night praying. He didn't sleep at all. He prayed throughout the entire evening, Father, who are the people that you want me to choose to be my disciples? And so after that all night of prayer, uh, the Bible tells us in, in Mark 3, verse 13, Jesus went up the mountain, and he summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John... He gave the name Bornergis. That means sons of thunder. I explained last week they had very passionate personalities. Verse 18 says, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus called a diverse a group of people who were going to be his followers. But once they began following him, what did Jesus want them to do? When Jesus calls us, when he invites us to be a part of God's family and to join him in the work of the kingdom of God, what is it that Jesus calls us to do? We have the clues right here in this passage. First, the Bible tells us that Jesus called the disciples to be with him. Do you see that right there in verse uh, 13, 14? He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him. Jesus said, look, men, before anything else, before we ever get on to preaching sermons, before we ever go out to do any type of ministry, before we ever go out to, to serve in any capacity, what I really want you to do is to spend time with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to observe what I do. Watch how I handle pressure situations, and then you learn how to handle pressure situations from what I do. Look at what I do when people attack me. See what my priorities are. Notice how I order my day. Have conversations with me. Jesus said, I want you as a disciple of mine to spend time with me. Get to know me. Develop a relationship with me. And the very same principle applies to us. What Jesus desires for the people who receive him as Savior, surrender their lives to him, is that we develop a relationship with him. That we spend time conversing with him. That we listen to him speak to us through his word and when we're praying. And that we respond back to him in obedience and, and in communing with him through prayer. Jesus desires not that we simply check off boxes of uh, here are the, the deeds that I have done for him. He desires that we spend time with him. And for those of us who are steeply involved in a church culture, here's a lesson that we really, really need to know. Doing for Jesus is not the same as being with Jesus. There are lots of people who will scurry around and they will serve. Does this need to be done? Can, I can take care of that. Yes, of course, I will help you in this area. I will volunteer. I will do. I will serve. I will teach. 
and they, they fill their lives with the religious activity, which is important to do. The, 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 the activities I'm not in any way saying are trivial or unimportant. But what I am saying is that if people only do for Jesus and never be with Jesus, they'll never serve him as well as they could. Now, I've probably used this analogy with you before at some point during the years here, but it's one that I think about often. Depending on the age of your automobile, you probably have a, a little orange light that begins to glow when your fuel starts to run low. If you have an older vehicle, you have a little light and it comes on. If you have a newer vehicle, you have a little mileage counter that starts saying 71 miles until empty, 54 miles until empty, 19 miles until empty. You're empty. Negative four miles. You have those indicators that say you are running low on fuel and you need to refuel. You need to stop at the gas station. Now, some of you take that as a challenge. You see the orange light come on. You see the mileage indicator start going lower and lower. And you say, I, I don't want to stop. I, I think I can make it. I'm only going to Los Angeles. And so you just keep right on going and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually what is going to happen is you will be stranded because you have run out of fuel. If someone close to us were to pay attention to our lives, they would be able to tell us, you're running low on fuel. The Holy Spirit gives us these little indicators that reminds us, hey, you weren't built to run on fumes. You were built to run on my power. And if you are moving constantly from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, even if what you were doing from the beginning of the day to the end of the day is noble and good, you will be stranded. Jesus said, men, look, we're going to learn about preaching sermons. We're going to learn about casting out demons. We're going to learn about taking care of the least of these. We're going to learn about doing mighty acts. But before we do any of those, I want to make sure that you understand it's important for you to be with me. This past week, how much were you with Jesus? I'm not asking you how much preparation you put into your Sunday school lesson. I'm not asking you how often you checked on someone who was sick. I'm not asking you how well you worked at the office or the factory or getting ready for school. What I'm asking you is how much time did you take to refuel so that in all of the tasks and responsibilities that the Lord would assign to you, you were ready to meet them. Doing for Jesus is not nearly the same as being with Jesus. And before any of the other tasks and responsibilities, 
Jesus said to these disciples, I want you to be with me. Notice the order. First, be with me. But Jesus did give them another responsibility. He gives us another responsibility. Jesus did not say to these disciples, look, men, we're going to have such a great time together. We're going to love each other. We're going to to experience God moving in miraculous and dramatic ways. And we're going to have such a good time with each other. Let's don't even worry about the other people out there. Jesus said, no, part of what I want you to do is to be with me, but I want you to continue. In the, in the last part of verse 14, he, uh, Jesus uh, commanded them to be with him and then to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Jesus said, men, what, what God is going to do among us is way too good for us to keep it to ourselves. We're going to to mobilize ourselves. There are lots of people in the world whose lives are broken and they need to be mended. They are shattered and they need to be put back together. There are lots of people who are confused, looking for guidance. We can provide that. There are lots of people who are grieving. They need comfort. We can give that comfort. And so, yes, what we are going to do as a group of 13 men is going to be special. It's going to be life-transforming. You are going to have mountaintop experiences with me when the the space between earth and heaven seems so narrow that that it appears you could just step right into heaven. We're going to have all of that, but we're not going to keep that to ourselves. We're going to make sure that the people who are out there who need what we have have the opportunity to receive it. And so Jesus said, so I I do want you to be with me. I want you to nurture your relationship with me. But I also want you to go out to preach. I also want you to go out to to minister. And the, the symbolism there of casting out demons sort of represents all of the ministry that they would do. And so Jesus said, I want you to make sure that you're full and ready. Because just in the normal routine of your days... You're going to have plenty of opportunities to minister in my name. You're going to have chances to impact the lives of others for the kingdom of God. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears in tune. You'll have those chances not only to have an inner journey with me, but an outward experience serving for me. Sometimes churches can have the tendency to turn themselves inward. They don't mean to. They don't do it on purpose. They're not, they're not intentionally excluding other people. But sometimes the experience that they have with each other is so rich and meaningful, and they enjoy it so deeply that they forget about the fact that there are people who don't experience that, who aren't connected in meaningful ways to the life that Jesus wants to provide. They really search for, for community with other people. In fact, I heard a study at a minister's conference where I was last week, and I can't verify, but I don't have any reason to doubt what the, what the person who was making the presentation said. He said that, that at the conclusion of the past couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic, that there is one issue that has risen astronomically on people's list of concerns. Do you know what it is? Anxiety and worry. 
of, of the people surveyed saying, yes, I'm very anxious about the future. I'm very worried about what's going on. Of that group, 31% of the people who responded said that they have zero or one friend. Now, you may think, no, there's no way that that can happen. I speak to a lot of teenagers, and I'm telling you, that absolutely does not surprise me. There are lots of people who feel they are isolated and that even if they have acquaintances, if they have people to, at whom they nod and say, good to see you today, if they have neighbors that they meet at the mailbox, there are lots of people who say, I really don't have anybody that if a crisis were to occur, to occur I can count on them. Now, doesn't that idea seem foreign to you? We've got Bersheba. There's not a person in this room I would be willing to bet that says, if trouble comes my way, nobody's going to help me. But that's people who are in here. That's not people who are out there. And so Jesus said, please don't ever let the experience that you have among each other ever cause you to forget about the people who don't have that experience. And so I'm mobilizing you. I'm sending you out. You preach that there is a way that they can be a part of this kingdom. You minister to them. You meet the needs that you're able to meet so that they can be a part of what I'm doing as well. The calendar has rolled forward, but the assignment is still the same. Jesus still calls those of us who have been saved by his blood shed on the cross and have been given brand new life through the power of the resurrection to be his ambassadors, missionaries, agents, and representatives everywhere we go in life. Now, I don't want to assume that every person in this building is a follower of Jesus Christ. There perhaps are some people who have questions about how to begin a relationship with God. Maybe you're wondering, what does it mean to surrender to Jesus? So I don't, I don't mean to assume that everyone here is at that place, but for those of us who are, you might not ever receive a paycheck from a church. You might not ever go live in a, in a foreign country to be a missionary. But tomorrow morning when you awaken... Jesus says, I'm sending you out to preach and to cast out demons. There is part of our responsibility to be with Jesus. And then Jesus says, and now I want you to do for me. Three times this summer, I've gone out to Las Vegas to preach for a friend of mine. And typically, when I go out to Marty's church, I, I speak three times in the morning. They have three services in the morning. And then I do a youth service at 5 o'clock and then eat dinner with some people and then fly back overnight so that I don't, you know, waste the whole day, you know, getting back. And so typically on those overnight flights coming from Las Vegas to Atlanta, you gotta, I, fly, I can wave at Columbus on the way. But I have to go all the way to Atlanta and then come back. And so, and, you, and I can tell it's Columbus because the lights just go on forever and ever. And I mean, New York City, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Columbus, you can see it's all down there. And so on those overnight flights, they 
typically turn off all the lights. They know people are tired and want to sleep, and so, so they will make their announcements at the beginning and say, now we're going to you know, just let you rest for the evening. And so about 18 months or so ago, I was coming back from Las Vegas and had settled in pretty good on the flight, and then all of a sudden, the, all of the lights on the plane came on. And one of the flight attendants said, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for disturbing you, but is, are, do we have any medical personnel on board? We have an emergency. And so everybody started kind of rubbing their eyes and, what, what's going on? What did she say? Ladies and gentlemen, I, I know that you're awakening now. Is there, is there a doctor, a nurse, an EMT? Is there anybody on board who's a medical professional? We have someone in the back that needs emergency attention right now. And so as everybody's kind of stirring up, I was on the aisle seat, and this, there was a middle seat, and then the, the person over here on the, on the window, and the man in the middle kind of bumped my arm like that. And I thought, that's kind of hard for him, you know, just waking up. But he didn't say anything. He just kind of, you know, elbowed me like that. And so then the flight attendant again says, now for the third time, ladies and gentlemen, do we have any personnel, you know, medical personnel on board, nurse, EMT, doctor, anything like that? And so everybody's kind of looking around, is there anybody? And this guy elbows me again. Didn't say anything, but he just elbowed me again. Third, fourth time she does, and then he elbows me, and I turned to him and said, I'm not a doctor. He said, well, I am. I said, well, why didn't you say so? So I got up, and, you know, he went to the back and made his way there, and I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was happening, but he needed some verbal skills. He made his way to the back, and then the flight attendant said, ladies and gentlemen, the crisis, the emergency's over. We, you know, the patient is in, and everybody's clapping, and th the doctor makes his way back up to the, you know, everybody's patting him on the back and shoulder. He gets in, I don't want to take credit for saving that life in the back. But I did let the man out of the seat. <laughs> now, I want you to think about this with me. Let's suppose that somehow earlier in the flight, maybe before we took off, somehow everybody on the plane learned that this man sitting next to me was a doctor. Let's just assume that somehow maybe you had to present some sort of identification or, or something like that, and, and everyone on the plane knew that the man was a doctor. And then suppose that exact same scenario unfolded. The lights come on, and the flight attendant says, we need medical personnel in the back. And then suppose the man sitting next to me said, I'm tired. I don't want to go back there. Who knows if I'm even going to be able to do anything. I don't know what conditions are. And then suppose that people said, sir, you're, you are a doctor. You, you need to go back, and I may not be able to help. When the plane landed, would people have been patting him on the shoulder and back and saying, man, great job? No. They would have said, sir, you have the training. You've been to school. You know what to do in this situation. You're the most qualified person on this plane to be able to do something about whatever that medical need is in the back. You've been trained. You have the information. You have the responsibility. Get up and do something. It's the same responsibility we have. Our world is broken. 
Our world is lost and spinning into chaos. And the people who have the most qualifications to be agents of good and grace and truth are those of us who have been saved by Jesus Christ. But many people never respond. There is the urgent call. We need someone in the back. We need medical attention. I just, I don't think I'm going to do it today. You need to. You've been trained. You, you have something that to offer. I don't know, even know if I could make a difference. That's not the call of discipleship. The call that Jesus gives to each of us who has been saved by his grace and mercy is to be with him and to do for him. To scatter, to go out and say, where can I preach? Where can I drive out demons? What can I do today to be a part of the kingdom work that Jesus is doing? If you have one of those streaming services, at the end of the episodes, what you see next is do you want to keep going? In fact, if you stay there long enough, it will ask you, are you still there? Are you still awake? Because you have continued to go through. You've watched three, four, five episodes in a row. Because the service knows once you get started on something good, you want to keep going. And that's the way that it is with Jesus and his disciples. This moment was the first moment that they had with Jesus as his disciples, but not the last. They wanted to keep going. And so do I. Philip's going to come and lead us in a closing song of commitment today. Now, because, as I said earlier at the beginning of the service, uh, I, I am feeling fine, but we did have someone here in the office this week who tested positive and so just for COVID. So just to be safe, I won't be standing here at the front to receive anyone today. But after the service, if you have questions about how to begin a relationship with God, if you have questions about how to deepen your own discipleship, maybe you're looking for some practical ways to say, look, I want to be with Jesus, but I don't know what to do in that time. What do I read? How do I pray? I'll be glad to talk with you and we can get a little space between us. If there are people who say, look, I, I think that I'm doing fairly well with the being with Jesus, but I'm not really doing for him very much. Could, could you just pray with me that God would make me aware of opportunities throughout the day? I, I want to be available to you to help. And so after the service, I'll be glad to talk with anybody who has questions about what God has said today. Philip's going to lead us. Let's all stand together. Philip, what are we going to sing? We're going to sing hymn number 579, I Surrender All. We'll sing the first and the last hymn.